So we're going to get back into the spirit of um, wisdom and revelation in our Ephesians series today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And one of my favorite classes when I went to Bible school was church history. And it sounds like it'd be one of the most boring classes you'd ever want to go through. But I found it very fascinating because I got to learn a lot about um, the Pentecostal church and how it got its foundations. And, and one of the ways it was founded um, was a man named John Alexander Dowie. Anybody ever heard that name before? If you lived down in Kenosha, you probably would have heard about it a little more because he was the founder of Zion, Illinois. He uh, was a faith healer, um, kind of a big charismatic guy in the late 1800s. He um, founded the city of Zion to be like a Christian enclave. It was just going to be a Christian city. They even formed the city. When you look at the map, you can see it still has the shape of the cross. So it's, it's, it has a very interesting history. In fact, a lot of the things that, um, that John Alexander Dowie put together are still in effect today, like you can't buy alcohol in any form in the city limits, not even NyQuil. I mean, anything with alcohol, it's still on the books down there that you can't buy it. Within the city limits, even though Zion is obviously no longer truly a Christian city anymore. In many ways, Zion and John Alexander Dowie was one of the predecessors of the modern-day movement that we call the Assemblies of God. And he preached about the restoration of the spiritual gifts and the role of the Holy Spirit in the church today. Now, John Dowie was huge in promoting the idea of revival. He was huge in promoting the move of the Holy Spirit in the church, and he would preach revivals where the Holy Spirit would just come and, and sweep through entire areas and bring sinners to the cross. His heritage was one of very exuberant worship with spiritual gifts on full display in his church. The church I got saved in, church Tammy got saved in, was heavily influenced by John Alexander Dowie's theology. And most of our pastors were assemblies of God. However, and this is probably just my impression, but when the Holy Spirit was talked about in our church, he was relegated to a feeling. He was relegated to a force. He was relegated to this thing that made you do all kinds of, of certain things inside church. And some people would run. We had a guy that would do laps around the church, just clapping, clapping and praising God. We had a, a guy that would speak in tongues very loudly. We had a, a person who um, would, would dance and sing at the altar. We had um, all kinds of, of um, outward uh, displays of the Holy Spirit moving in our church. Then 1995 hit, and the Brownsville Revival swept through the Pentecostal church, and especially the Assemblies of God, like a whirlwind. A lot of people got radically saved, hundreds of thousands, they estimate. And even more than that, many people who had been just pew warmers for years, people who just came to church, didn't really do much with their, their faith, but um, they, they still came to church. They got saved into active service missions or even pastoral ministry. There was a, a Bible school that was launched out of that. And there was a lot of good that came out of that revival. However, for many, the Holy Spirit again got relegated to a force that made people do 
some maybe things that um, a lot of people would find strange or weird. Instead of the life-changing third person of our triune God that came to live within us and continually mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. As we continue our study of the Ephesians series, which is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He said, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope for which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And Father, I just ask, Lord, you just take the scripture this morning and use it to form our ideas about you. The scripture is the final word about the nature of God. And we ask, Father, that it become the final word in who the Holy Spirit is to us and what his mission is as he comes to reside within us. Father God, we ask this in your name. Amen. Now, a few weeks ago, when we went through the first uh, part of the first chapter of Ephesians, we spoke about the Holy Spirit being made a deposit within us when we became saved, assuring us of the Father's love and forgiveness and, and His ongoing presence within us as we walk through this life. Today, we're going to focus a little bit more on why God gave us the Spirit and nail down a bit more specifically about what His primary focus and job is when he's, as he walks through us in this life. Because it's not just about the huge spiritual movements. It's not about people rolling on the floor. It's not, about, it's not just about spiritual gifts, running, jumping, singing, prophesying, speaking in tongues, or any other outward sign. And for the first seven years of my Christian experience, that's what I was taught and believed the Holy Spirit's job was. Pretty much to give us a huge rush during church service. But that's not scriptural. God is his word. He can't be different in person than he is in print. After all, the first um, verse of the first chapter of John says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So God is his word. He has to be the person that is described in Holy Scripture. And the scripture is going to show us this morning what the Spirit's primary mission is, to re, primary mission is, and that is to reveal Jesus within us. Now, just to review what we read, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, 
I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Now, Paul is joining two thoughts together. His first few words say, for this reason, and that reason is referring back to what we covered the last time we met. And that was that our election to salvation is based on what we decide to do with Jesus. Is he Lord of your life? It asks that question. Because if you confess that Jesus is Lord of all, then you get the deposit made into your spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of the kingdom of God living within you, guaranteeing your inheritance into his kingdom. The Holy Spirit is both within us when we get saved and upon us as we pray. The Holy Spirit is both the eternal proof of salvation and the robe of righteousness that we are clothed in. The wedding garment pointing us out to everyone in the spirit realm that we belong to Christ. And Paul joins that spiritual idea with the practical reason that God gave us this part of himself. And that is to reveal Jesus to us and develop him within us. So people on the outside can see Jesus. God our Father gives us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And that word revelation isn't just the name of the last book of the Bible. It's the entire mission of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus Christ to us and to others as we continue to follow him. This is given to us by the Holy Spirit, which Paul defines as a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So let's define terms. Wisdom is knowledge correctly applied while recognizing God's sovereignty. Wisdom is knowledge correctly applied while recognizing God's sovereignty. In other words, God said it, we believe it, and follow it. Amen. Applied to our scriptures this morning, we look to the book of Proverbs, whose mission is to give us wisdom. In Proverbs 1, Verse 7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, why would it say that? Because it's the first step to our salvation. We need to fear God. We need to see that God decreed what is good and what is evil. All of us have done evil. All of us have done things that God has said is sin. But when we knelt at the cross of Jesus Christ to confess our sins, we knelt before the fear of the Lord. We had that holy respect that what he said was true, and we received our salvation. And the second part of what Paul is saying is that the spirit of revelation is the thing that reveals Jesus Christ to us and within us. This is the most important reason the Holy Spirit comes with, to live within us after salvation. And this comes to it with a certain truth to it also. <clears throat> if you claim to be spirit-filled and no one can see Jesus being shown through your life of Jesus growing inside you, then you have to ask, is this the Holy Spirit that's influencing you? When I was growing up, going through confirmation class, I remember reading through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 through 7. 
And I especially remember Jesus saying that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes or Pharisees, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I remember reading that, and I'm like, well, unless my righteousness exceeds that of their pastors, I'm never going to go to heaven. So I'm thinking, you know, keep in mind I'm, you know, 12, 14 years old. I'm, I, in my logic, I'm like, well, I'm never going to go to heaven because there's no way my righteousness is ever going to exceed a pastor's righteousness. I mean, it's, that's crazy. Maybe I was absent the day they actually taught salvation <laughs> through the gospel, but... Um, but I, I, that, that was my understanding. But in spite of all this, I still went through both years of confirmation, and I got to know some of the pastors there. I really liked them. Pastor West, Pastor Meisner, I really got to know them pretty well. And I learned to admire them because I thought, you know, these guys had the instant ticket into heaven. These guys were guaranteed. And I told one of them that once, and, and he laughed, and he tried to explain salvation to me, but it, it just didn't click. I guess my mind wasn't ready yet. And um, I just felt they had that instant ticket that I had nowhere, no chance at ever getting for myself. But then in 1993, I got saved. I got discipled and, and educated in the things of God and what the Bible had to say about Jesus, about sin, the cross, and the way of salvation. I came to understand that since Jesus came to die for me, if I confessed my sins, I turned from my sins, and trusted him, I could also see heaven someday. However, some of that, that pastoral admiration carried over into that. As is appropriate, in the early days of my Christian life, I had a great respect and admiration for anyone in a spiritual position of authority. I kind of had it in the back of my head, and it's kind of a weird way of thinking about it, probably, but I kind of thought they had the golden ticket. Remember Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? They found that golden ticket. And somehow they, they were going to be able to enter heaven based on that golden ticket. They were set for eternity. And then I got called into ministry. And I grew, as I grew in what God was doing to me, I got access to meeting some of my spiritual heroes. People like John Kilpatrick, who led the Brownsville Revival, I got to sit down and talk to him, go out to lunch with him once. Um, Steve Hill, the evangelist who did most of speaking at Brownsville, got to, to sit down for lunch with him when he came to our church. I helped organize and run a thousand-man men's conference at my church and various famous celebrity pastors and speakers. I got to meet and hang out with a lot of them. And you know what I found out about all these guys and, and, and women? They're people just like you and me. You kind of look at them and you're like, I'm not really that much different than they are. They're human beings. They have the same flaws and issues that I had. And unfortunately, I also met a few celebrity pastors who kind of prima donnas. Behind the scenes, they showed nothing of the character of Jesus until the spotlight was on them. They did their performance, and then they left. And that kind of shook me for a while until I realized that, again, they're just as human as I am. And I found out it's not about how well they preach or how well they play or sing or perform in the name of Jesus. It's all about if we can see Jesus in them when the spotlight isn't on them. How are they a part from all of that pomp and circumstance of that position. Bringing all that back into today's subject, that the Holy Spirit's 
function is to reveal Jesus within you. So that when other people look at you, they don't see anything of you, but they see him. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit living within us. Now, just to clarify, because sometimes when I speak about this, it sounds like I don't want revival atmosphere and I don't want spiritual gifts. And No, 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 I want all of that kind of stuff. I love revival atmospheres when the Holy Spirit is moving among the people. I love expressive worship. I love to see people being filled with the Holy Spirit and healed of lifelong issues. But I've also found, growing up in that, if you will, that if you're jumping up and down in church, but not walking straight when you land, that probably wasn't the Holy Spirit. If you're speaking in other tongues during the worship service and then leaving, cursing and gossiping about others, I ask, was that the Holy Spirit? If you're falling on the floor when people pray for you and not walking different when you stand back up, was that the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's purpose is to reveal Jesus within us. Let me say that again for emphasis. The Holy Spirit's purpose, all of that stuff is a mechanism or a method that God uses to reveal Jesus within us. It's meant to strip away the flesh, strip away who we are, and replace it with Jesus. It's to reveal Jesus within us. Now that we've discussed the purpose, let's look at the benefits and consequences of having the spirit of wisdom and revelation within us. One of the consequences of it is that our eyes will be enlightened. Meaning you will see as Jesus sees. You will be filled with an overwhelming sense of what he has done for you. And that sense will fill your hearts and minds with so much joy and so much gratitude that the things of this world will lose their appeal to you. And not only that, we will see as he sees. How many people here would be willing to, to admit that you may have someone in your life that really bugs you? You have a co-worker, you have a, a friend, family member, in-laws, outlaws, some, you know, somebody in your life that really, really is challenging to you. I do. I work with a few of them. They're just annoying. You walk in and you can't even stand to hear their voices, much less spend time in their presence. You look for reasons to avoid them at all costs. But what if we could see that really annoying person through Jesus' eyes? Maybe whatever that annoying person is, maybe they're a gossip, maybe they're, they're just a person that can't say anything nice about somebody or someone who who markets in, in just being dirty with all their conversation or something. What happens if we see that person through Jesus' eyes? What happens if we allowed the Spirit of God to speak to us about that person? Because you know what? Jesus died for them too. God bankrupted heaven for them also. He desperately wants to show them Jesus, not only through your words and your witness, but through your love for them. This is challenging, I know, trust me. You spend 12 or 24 hours with a person, as I have in the past being a paramedic, you spend 24 hours on a truck with a person, and you don't get along with them, that is miserable. 
I get it. It's hard. But that's also the reality. God put you in that place for such a time as this so you can show them Jesus. And really, when the Bible talks about the great power for those who believe, that's the source of our joy and outlook, is that constant presence of God living within us. This is the reason the early martyrs could walk boldly into an arena facing a lion that was going to eat them. This is the reason they could boldly face a gladiator and drop the sword they were given and just hold up their hands and, and let the gladiator send them to heaven. They understood and believed the awesome, priceless, and incomparably great inheritance and power that existed within them that they were going to take their last breath on earth and, and take their first breath in heaven. That is the power of a Christian. That's why the Holy Spirit's deposit within us is so important to nurture, so important to guard, so important to understand that it is constantly within us and has to be nurtured and, and, and watered and, and allowed to grow within us. Because God doesn't want us to just survive this crazy world. He wants us to thrive in the power of God and help us to be overcomers, no matter how bad it gets. And that brings us to the second benefit, and that is resurrection power. Verse 19 B says, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. When I think of, about power, and I think about the strength he wants to give us, I think about the last fire department I was on before I moved up here. We had a guy in his 30s. He was a competitive power lifter. And we nicknamed him Hulk. He was just a big, hulking, just monstrously big guy. We had to custom order his turnout gear because he just had muscles, had pond muscles, and those muscles had muscles. Just a, a big guy. Whenever we were at a fire or a car accident, we needed something moved or broken, we'd point at him and say, Hulk, smash! And he would just walk over, and like we couldn't get a door off, he'd just grab the door and rip it right off and hand it to us. You want door? You know? <laughs> just just a, a great guy to have around. And whenever we got back to the station, we'd do an after-action review on the call, and we brought up about how Hulk smashed everything. He'd always go, uh-huh, and it's like, dunk, 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 you know. Giant, just a giant guy. I kind of think about Hulk whenever I think about when Christ was called from the grave. It's talking about the incomparably great power that God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I think about this. It's almost like I think an angel called out, Hulk, smash. And God the Father just rolled up his sleeve, flexed a little bit, and crushed the sting of death and the fear of the grave forever. That's the same power 
that raised Jesus from the grave. That's the power that gets to live inside each one of us through the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's some things or circumstances in our life that we need to say, Father, can you smash that for me? Can you use that same power that you used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead to smash that thing that's troubling me in life? Whether it's a bad attitude on my part about this thing, or whether it's just something in my life I need removed, God, please smash this in my life. I need you to crush it. I need your resurrection power, God, to lift me out of this mess, to place me back on the path that you have for me and to walk with you today. Maybe that's your prayer today. If so, just in your heart of hearts, say, Father, can you smash this thing in my life today? The scripture says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. I want to remind you that the promises of God are not only yea and amen, but they're for the past, the present, and the future. The power he offers us is not only just for today. It's not to get that quick rush of emotion and then fall back under the weight of the thing that God, we've asked God to smash in our lives. It means to be forever free of it, to walk in it, to walk in the victory that he wants to give you today. Will it pop up occasionally? Probably. Satan loves to dangle our weaknesses in front of us. But you have the power of God to say no to ungodliness. And yes to the freedom that Jesus won for you on the cross. Finally, the Spirit not only reveals Christ to us, but he places him in proper place in our lives, our hearts, and our spirits. Verse 22 says, And God has placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Too many of us live like we're on Huber. You know what Huber is? Work release from jail. You go out, you work your job, you have to go back to jail. Too many of us live our Christian lives where we're on a work release. We come here on Sunday, we come here on Wednesday, and then we have to go back to the world and live there. But that's not what Jesus has for us. That's not what Jesus did for us. You know, Hulk, Jesus, ripped the door off the jail. The example I used last time, Paul and Silas being imprisoned after preaching Jesus to the Ephesians. I want you to notice God didn't open the, just open the doors. He absolutely destroyed the jail. The whole jail fell apart. That's the truth we need to live in today. We think that the, the devil keeps slamming us back in our cage. No, there is no cage. The only cage is the lie that he tries to imprison you with. That's the cage. God has, in fact, destroyed your prison. You need to believe it and walk in that freedom. 
But it seems sometimes, and I include myself in this once in a while, like we spend our lives trying to rebuild the prison or make it nicer, rather than just walk out into the freedom that he has for us. Let's all rise this morning. I want to spend a few moments in prayer about some of these things.